are listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today's guest is Eric Falkner, the general manager of Dutton Plumbing, the plumber you'd send to your mom's house, located in Southern California. Last year, Dutton Plumbing made over $12.6 million in revenue. I spoke with Eric about how he transformed an $8 an hour entry-level job into a robust service career. We discussed how to be present at work, how to create an incredible customer experience, experience, the power of empathy, creating slogans, and tips for hiring new team members. Enjoy. So hello, Eric, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, my pleasure. This is going to be fun, I think. Uh, I appreciate your initial skepticism, but I can assure you it's definitely going to be fun. Nice. Uh, for everyone listening at home, can you please state your full name, your job title, and what company you work for? Uh, my name is Eric Falconer. I'm the operations manager here at Dutton Plumbing. Tell me how you got into the trades, please. Well, my best friend was working here. This is, I've been here 13 years now, and my best friend was working here. He's like, hey, man, you should come get a job here. It'll be cool. Like, we'll, we'll hang out all day. And we just have to do some stuff on the computers, answer the phone, and, and do some stuff on the computer. And I was like, I get to sit in front of a computer all day. This sounds fantastic. Like that's like, you know, hashtag life goals. And, uh, he's like, Oh no, that's not the best part. And I said, well, okay. He's like, they start us at $8 an hour. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be rich. And, uh, he's like, that's not the best part. I'm like, what is it, man? He's like on Saturdays, the owner leaves us cash to get lunch so we're going to have chili cheese fries every Saturday. And uh, that's how I got into the trade. And it was, it's, 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 uh, it's been an adventure ever since. So that was 13 years ago. That was 2007. Yeah. How old were you? I think I was 19. So um, most people, when they're 19, they don't, like, they don't usually stay at the place they, they started working. So what made you stay? Hmm. That's a good question. I think uh, as I reflect back on like the time I was there, I don't think it was anything intentional, but it was it was a stimulating environment. And the owner Eric Dutton would we'd have conversations and we would talk about everything. Like I just go into his office and we'd talk for hours and we'd talk about everything from motorcycles to girls to uh, mm -hmm. sometimes we talk about plumbing even and uh, a lot of mentoring and I think looking back, it was just a stimulating environment where I could really like just start to take responsibility for stuff and do stuff and had a lot of freedom to try things out and, and do things. And, uh, that's probably what I think kept, kept me there it was, just, it was just a stimulating environment. That's a really good point. Uh, were you in college at the time? Yep. What were you originally going to do? Well, I think I went to college because that's what I was supposed to do. And, you know, uh, all of that, that comes with that, you know, our parents setting the expectation that you have to go to college and that's what I was going there for and went to it for a long time with no real purpose and wasted a lot of time and money doing that. And, uh, eventually I transferred over to a real college and started uh, working on my geography degree, which was really fun. A lot of interesting stuff. 
I, uh, I look back on those, those years fondly because I learned how to use Excel and it's like pivot tables are my favorite. It's great. So that part I do look fondly back on. So you started off um, at a college that I'm assuming was near Dutton Plumbing. And then as you continue to work at Dutton Plumbing, you eventually were like, I'm going to get my BA or BS in geography. I would always try and like do my projects with data from work because it was all about like spatial analysis, right? So I would take our customer database and try and figure out what type of person likes to buy our services and then, you know, try and find because you can buy like marketing databases where you can market to those people. And so it was like this really cool business analytical type of, of thing that I could get into. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And there was like, it felt, I'm a practical learner. And so I felt like there was a practical application for what I was learning most of the time. So um, did you finish your geography degree? I was one class short and my mom is very disappointed about all of that. What would you say to prospects right now, high, recent high school graduates, people who are kind of thinking about a career change, but who may be thinking about college, but maybe have a bad or an incorrect idea of what the trades can provide in terms of a career? <laughs> it, it boggles my mind what this industry is capable of, like providing and, and the opportunity that's within it, because when it was just, just answering the phones or dispatching and stuff, like I thought, oh, I'm going to be an office manager someday. And I reached that and I thought I was at the pinnacle come to realize like there's a whole nother scale of the, the business that's possible. And even now, like my position in the company didn't exist not that long ago. And as I got to that point, I was like, okay, running a large shop, that's going to be, that's the pinnacle. Right. And as soon as I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't even scratched the surface. Let's start looking at what happens when you have multiple units, multiple trades, multiple locations. And so even beyond that, there's so much opportunity within this, this trade. So that, that's the, the biggest thing. <laughs> it's funny. Another funny story is uh, at one point in college, I realized this isn't probably not for me. And so I, I went to, I was talking about it with Eric and he's like, yeah, well, if you want a, a career in this industry, you got to be a plumber because we were a small shop. And that was his reality as well. It's like plumber is a great career. You can be a, a tradesman. You can support a family. You can make good money. And so he's like, oh, you got to be a plumber. And so I went home and I told my mom, mom, I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to become a plumber. And I have never, ever disappointed my mother more in that moment than in that moment. She cried. She literally cried. And uh, I think to this day, she'll like occasionally bring it up and like remind me of how much, how disappointing it was. <laughs> Fast forward a few years ago, I got my C36 plumbing license from the California contractors board. So I'm officially a plumber according to the state of California. And when I called and told my mom this, she's like, Oh good. So you're going to go get out in the field and start making real money now. It's like, Oh my gosh, really, really? <laughs> but I think it was a really good illustration of like, she saw the trade a certain way. Eric Dutton saw the trade a certain way. And we've all come to learn like there's so much more to this, this industry than, than, than most people realize. Uh, do you have any plans about going out into the field and, and doing some repairs? I make it a point to go out into the field every week, spend a couple hours out there, mostly just visiting job sites and touching base with the, the guys out in the field. Because um, 
especially having started from the office, I have a tendency to try and run the business from a spreadsheet or service titan, as it were. And I think you get this impression because you have more data and more analytics that you understand what's going on. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And so I always just really challenge myself to get present to what's happening out in the field because the more that I look at spreadsheets and try and figure out what I think is going on, like, oh, the closing rate's too low. What's going on with this? Da, 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 da. I just go out in the field and I start talking to the guys. And they're like, oh, yeah, da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, shoot, that's an easy fix. And so I always bring it back to this idea, like the place where the value is created and the work is done is out in the field for our business. And so just staying present to that, I think is really important and something I try and do every week. Can you talk to me about maybe a specific instance where that happened? Like, be, give me a specific example. Yeah, I um, we have this new uh, sewer rehabilitation tool. It's called a coating. You basically paint a new pipe inside of an old pipe, and it's a really cool tool. And it's like really nobody in our area is doing it. It's it's, it's non-invasive, really cool technology. And uh, so I went out and visited a job site. And the guy was showing it to me and talking to me about it. And it's like, the machine comes with a camera on it and it's built into the machine. And it's like, okay, cool. So you can see what's happening as you're coding this. But the reality is, is that the camera attached to it's a piece of junk. It breaks almost immediately. And so you need a fancier sewer camera to do it. And I'm like, well, looking at a spreadsheet, there's a camera assigned to this truck. There's two cameras assigned to this truck because there's one on the equipment, but when you actually get out there and you're talking to the guy and he's showing you how to use it, you realize that this camera doesn't really work with the tool at the same time in small diameter pipes, which was one of the re- whole reasons to get it. And so trying to understand like him talking to his manager, talking to his manager, talking to me about needing a camera when there's already two cameras on the truck doesn't make any sense. When you get present to it, you're like, oh, of course you need a new camera. You just need a small camera. So that's really interesting what you were saying about, you know, the office side having to be very present with the problems of the text face. And, you know, this is a common trope that I see a lot when talking with shops is that, you know, your text and office are, co- are constantly butting heads. But it sounds like given the experience that you had kind of, it sounds like you've had every job essentially on the office side. Is that correct? Yeah. And I think to, to speak to that is there is this animosity a lot of times because between the office and the field. And uh, what I, where I think it comes from a lot is it goes back to who is creating the value in the business. So me as a manager, I definitely add value to the organization. I add value to the customers, all this other stuff. But the problem comes when I think like I am the creator of the, the primary creator of the value. And I start to undervalue the work being done by the technicians out in the field which again is, is truly, that's where the customer interaction happens primarily. That's where the, the physical work is done, where the product is installed, if you will. The, the most time spent with the customer is going to be the biggest transfer of value. And it's really easy, I think, especially sitting behind my computer to say, I'm, I'm what's creating the value in this business and not all of these technicians who are doing a equally mentally challenging job and definitely physically more challenging job. So I think what ends up happening is like people think they're the the secret sauce in the business and they start looking at other people as like, I'm better than you or I'm creating more than you. And I, I was just remember 
that the technicians are the backbone of our industry, of our company. What do you think are some common pitfalls that other that other shops fall into in regards to this this issue? And how do you think are some of the best ways to solve it? It, it goes back to being present. Like I think that's such a huge thing. And then just talking. Like there, <laughs> there's a quote where it's uh, that Eric has shared with me many times is the biggest problem with communications is, is people think it actually occurred. And so that's where spending the time with the guys in the field is so important because you actually talk to them, understand what's going on. Because they'll, they'll, technicians aren't shy. Like they'll tell you what their, their gripes and their problems are. And half the time, it's just a misunderstanding of something like we did a new policy or procedure and they took it to mean something completely different than what we intended it to mean. And it's just creating animosity. And so getting out in the field, talking with a technician, having lunch with them, or even just picking up a shovel from time to time. Gotcha. I think that's really, that's really good advice. Like communication, you don't make assumptions. It makes an ASS out of you and me. That's what my old, one of my old professors used to say. So um, talk to me a little bit about a day in the life for you. You know, you mentioned you go out on the field with the technicians, you try and do that once a week, but what are your primary, uh, what's your primary role and what are your goals right now? So my primary role is just making sure that this whole big machine keeps moving forward. And I'm fortunate enough to have some really good managers working under, uh, working with me that I can delegate a lot of like the day-to-day stuff with me and they're, they're, they're managing all the frontline employees. Um, so it really becomes about making sure that all those managers are working together and that everyone's kind of on the same page. And then when there is a fire, jump in and grabbing it without stepping on somebody else's toes if they're already going for that. But my day, it starts out, the very first thing that I do is I look through every single invoice from the previous day and just see see what happened and look for patterns or look for odd things. And that goes back to like staying present to what's happening. And I would say it's probably the most valuable part of my day is the 30 to 40 minutes where I go through those before anyone else gets here, really get a sense of what happened yesterday. You know, what kind of invoice descriptions are we writing on these invoices? Like, are the technicians documenting a good job of the value that they're delivering on the call? Are they just typing up like a two-sentence invoice summary? Are they using the right tasks? Are they discounting? Also, like conversion rates. Like, are we are we going out to people's house and fixing the problem, or are we? going out and just leaving them with the problem and collecting a service charge. And so that's one where you really can spot trends like, and I'll bring it to my service manager's attention. It's like, Hey, check out uh, John. Like, seems like he might've had an off day yesterday. And I'm a big believer in not assuming too, because usually there's an explanation. And if you try and come down on a guy, why why did you close three zeros yesterday? It's like, well, here's the situation. Oh, Sorry. So I'm looking for that, the patterns like that. One of the things like I discovered in doing this was that some of the assumptions we were making about who's good at what types of calls were completely false. The example I have is uh, we, we have this technician. He's really good at tankless water heaters. And so we would send all of our tankless water heater calls to him. And as I started to really get into looking at all of his invoices every single day, I'm like, man, he gets a lot of tankless water heater calls and he doesn't convert a lot though. And so this, what I discovered was there's a situation where he's very technically competent in tankless water heaters, but maybe not the best at presenting the options and getting customers to buy them. And so 
like shifting the calls that he's getting makes his customers happy, makes him happier. And it, it just, I think you miss stuff like that if you're not really present to what's going on. That's really interesting. And I've talked to different owners about this before and, and different people in your position as well, a higher up who are in charge of the operations of the business, that it's so important to know your technician's strengths and weaknesses so that you can play to their strengths and also build up those muscles that need some building up. Oh yeah, I think that is probably one of the most undervalued things in, in companies like ours, especially we spend so much time and energy training our technicians and trying to change their behaviors and control their behaviors. And it's like, we have so few tools to actually do that because they're out in the field. They're operating very independently. It's tough. It's a tough thing to do. So you might have 10 minute one-on-one with them in the morning and that, and you can check in with them between calls and do all of that. But think about the dispatcher who's sitting probably right outside your office and if you can get them to adjust their behavior a little bit, you can dramatically increase the results of the business, not just from revenue and profit, but also customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. And they're there, you can manage them. And usually they're looking for advice and training. I know for me personally, like back in the good old days, like when I would dispatch, we had this very much like clear the board mentality. I'll send the closest texts to the closest calls. Let's get through as many calls as we possibly can. And that's typically not good for technicians. It's not good for the company. It's not good for customers. And having the dispatchers who are open to feedback, typically, they're right there. You can, I'm not going to say use or control, but you can manage them a lot more effectively than a remote employee. And it's, I think, one of the biggest missed opportunities in our industry. Even for us, we spend a lot of time focusing on it, but we're not even anywhere near our potential. And by missed opportunity, you mean really training the dispatchers to know the strengths and weaknesses of the tech so they can send the best guy out on the job. Exactly. Gotcha. How many technicians do you guys have now? Uh, I'm looking at our org chart. We've hired a bunch lately. Uh, I was thinking like 25 service techs. Nice. No, 28. 28? Congratulations. What's it like managing 28 remote technicians? Uh, it's, it's not easy. I have two service managers that split them up and it's, it's, they have to be very intentional about their time management. Otherwise they just become firefighters. Same with me because I I'm definitely backing them up. And I think we've, we've tried and implement systems here to automate things and keep it. So that simple, but time management is the single biggest challenge with that. If you don't plan your day, your day's going to happen to you. And so if they just show up in the morning and like check their emails, like you're going to have a bad day. That's what happens to me too. And so I make sure I come in before anybody else, look at my day, look at my calendar, go through my emails, plan my day. There's so many, there's a bajillion time management videos or books or whatever you need. So there's, there's systems everywhere. The tools are there and they're all good. It doesn't even really matter which one you use. As long as you have a system and a process for managing your time and your energy and your priorities, you're going to, you're going to be way better than anybody else. I think as humans, we, we get this affirmation from putting out fires and solving problems. And if you take it down to the, the simplest level, like a technician goes out into the field, he's 
fixes something. So he gets rewarded with revenue and he's really good at it. So he becomes the owner of a company and starts having people work for you. And if that's your mentality of problem comes up, I fix it, I get rewarded. You're not going to be a very successful manager because your job is to deal with those problems through other people. And so there's a lack of planning and time management that just continues to create these issues that we have to keep putting out these fires and in the back of our brain, we're getting rewarded. And so you keep doing it. And that's where I think one of my roles here is with our other managers is to help them step back from the day to day and think a little bit more strategically about their time. I agree. And I definitely fall into that trap all the time. Like sometimes it would be so much nicer to just like to work on an Excel spreadsheet or to just do some like mind numbing work and knock it out. It feels good, but you're right. right. In the long term, it's not a good strategic play. And if you're going to grow a business that like Dutton made 12.5 million last year in revenue and has 28 service techs, you need to be super strategic about your time. How did you learn about time management and how did you get the skills you needed to become the manager you are today? Lots of books. I got, I'm looking at uh, shelves and shelves of books around me and my Audible is equally as full of books. So there's that. There's lots of training and videos and classes on the internet. I think like one of the like most memorable like management things that I did is I started reading Harvard Business Review. I got a subscription to that and that was such good, such good articles. But then it was, um, getting mentors in the industry beyond Eric Dutton and other people that are running companies just like ours across the country, just getting their perspective and, and them giving me advice, going to classes, joining networking groups like uh, service Roundtable or next star network. That's where I've, I've learned a lot is from the, the other members of next star and the coaches and uh, trainers there. Uh, is there a particular book that you remember? Cause I know that contractors love their business books. I would say, uh, extreme ownership is one that is fantastic. Jocko's, uh, hits the podcast, uh, circuit pretty regularly. So I'm sure everyone's heard of him, but that one always just takes me back to like, I'm responsible. Like I have to be the one that's going to go fix this kind of a similar message packaged completely differently is a book called QBQ question behind the question. And that one just goes back to taking responsibility. Like how am I responsible for what the situation is? Cause typically what happens is we have all these problems going on around us and none of them are our fault, but as leaders, there are responsibility to address them. And so just keeping that mindset uh, is really, really important. Gotcha. I think that's really thoughtful, looking at the bigger p- picture and laying the foundation down so you guys can experience success in the next year. So in our email communications prior to this, you said that dispatching and CSR stuff is your jam. So why don't you tell me what you're an expert on? I mean, I just really love all things dispatch and call taking. I think it's just one of those undervalued parts of our business. Everything from the the first communications with the customer, like what is the experience like when they first call into us? What kind of person do we have answering the phone? Like, is this going to be a good experience for the customer? Because it's setting the, the tone for the entire thing. It's the first impression, right? So I love talking about that. I love being a part of that. Occasionally, I, I go upstairs and I start answering our inbound calls a little bit. And that's just, I love it. I love it. What do you love about it? 
I honestly, I think about how I think it's, I was really bad at it. I was just terrible. Like the least empathetic person on the planet, just like a robot reading the script, like everything that you think is wrong with scripts was me. And so now that I have a system and a process and I understand the value of empathy and all of that stuff, and I can actually be good at it. I think I've practiced it now to a point where it's, I don't have to think about it too much. So I can be good at it. It's relatively effortless. And I know I'm helping people at the same time. So that's always fun. Uh, last year at Pantheon, you uh, gave a presentation about the perfect CSR call script, I believe. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what it takes to create that great experience for the customer when they first call in. So I think it all starts with like really being intentional with understanding like the person that's calling in to you and they're having a bad day. Right. And a lot of times the first thing that we do is we start trying to collect information because that's what service time makes us do. Right. Like I can't go very, I can't go anywhere until I get your name and address and phone number. And so we're, we're trying to like please our software and plug things in what are some common mistakes that you see other shops or contractors do when it comes to call scripts and um, take, talking to that customer the first first time? I think one of the big mistakes I see as it relates to the taking the calls is not leaving room for people to be people with people. And so expecting a rigid following of the script and not to say that we don't have to have like a process and bullet points that we need to hit along the way, but we don't also want to create such a rigid confined, like call flow that there isn't room for me to actually connect with a person. Certainly I need to get information and there's definitely pieces of information I have to hit, but if I'm just following it rigidly to a T, it's going to be a probably a bad experience for the customer. So making sure you have the bullet points that the people need to get along the way is I think super critical And so giving the people flexibility and not doing that is a problem. Conversely, if you give them too much flexibility and everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, it creates just as much of a problem. The reality is, is like, if you're not listening to your recorded calls or someone, someone in the business needs to be listening to your recorded calls every single day. And that goes back to like, if I'm a service manager, if I'm the operations manager, I need to be looking at the invoices, the texts are writing up every single day. If I'm a call center manager, I need to be listening to recorded calls every single day to just understand the experience that we're giving to customers, making sure that it's living up to the expectations that we want. Trust but verify is the kind of famous Ronald Reagan quote. Trust that the CSRs are going to do a job, good job and verify it. What are the bullet points that you have in uh, Dutton's call script? I, I learned what I, I learned how to really answer the phone well when I uh, when we were members of Nextar Network. And so a lot of this is just the, the lessons imbued in them from them to me. And so I think it just starts off with having a lot of empathy throughout the script. And so like one of the things I always say is, I'm sorry you're having to deal with that. It's got to be really frustrating. And then I'll just really make sure that they know that they've called somebody that can fix the problem. Because, and, and if we step back and think about this, like how often do people call out a service provider to their house that's not really that competent. And I think I take it for granted that our our technicians are really, really good because a lot of people in this, uh, dealing with plumbers or HVAC folks, 
they deal with people that aren't nearly as skilled as they probably should be going in to fix somebody. Especially in California, there's actually very little regulation around what it takes to be a plumber. And so people all the time get this experience of having somebody out to their house that can't actually fix the problem. And so just letting people know, like, you don't have to worry about that. Like, we're awesome. Our techs are awesome. You've called the right place. So you mentioned that when you first started answering calls, you didn't really have much empathy on your end. Yeah. What are some tips that you would give to managers like yourself who need to kind of help their CSRs and train them in empathy? I think it starts by faking it, like fake it till you become it. Like it, it will, it'll start to be real the more that you do it. And so just, just having some good bullet pointed scripts, like alternative ways of doing it and then practicing it before you get on the phone with the customer. So you got to train them, you got to practice it with them, make sure they can do it and they know how to do it and then have them go do it. Gotcha. So do you have some canned phrases or anything that you that you use to train some of your CSRs? I mean, my go-to is like, that sounds really frustrating. I'm sorry you're having to deal with that. A lot of times it can just be as simple like, oh my gosh, or, ah, you know, just, just it, to me, empathy isn't just about like acknowledging, it, it is just about acknowledging that you're listening. And so even like repeating back to them is a type of empathy, in my opinion, because it's just an, it's to show you're listening and it's to acknowledge people. And I think that speaks to something like that's within all of us. Like we just want to be heard. And how often do we feel like we're with a service provider that's not even listening to us all the time? And so to be able to deliver that empathy to customers goes a long ways to starting off and creating a, a, an amazing service experience. What kind of ways do you make sure that your tech do your technicians employ empathy when they're with the customer? It's the same thing. Uh, training, 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 some more training, some practicing of it. And uh, I think beyond that, though, it's making sure that they understand why it's important, showing them how it impacts them personally. Everyone loves the what's in it for me and speaking to that and then tying it into the bigger picture. So we're here to exceed all of our customers' expectations and blow them away. And empathy is one of the tools for that and just tying it all together. What are some of the other tools you use to blow your customers away? Just over communicating, especially like in dispatch, like what, how often do like technicians just show up or not show up at customer's house. We hear it all the time in booking calls. I'm sure everyone that answers phones does too, is like, ah, I called another plumber and they never showed up and they never called too. And so just over communicating like what is going on. And like for us, like we've been in a, a situation where we've got a ton of canceled calls because we're just too busy to get out to them all. And so some people we're going to disappoint them and not be able to get out to them. And it's a matter of just communicating to that, being transparent and uh, being proactive about it. Gotcha. I want to move on to uh, the marketing slogan of Dutton. Dutton plumbing, the plumber you would send to your mom's house. A rumor has it that you came up with that. Is that true? That is true. <laughs> Talk to me about that. How did that, how did that take place? So there is... <laughs> 
so I got, I got, I was at Dunn Plumbing for a couple of years and it was the only real plumbers that I'd interacted with. And we had joined some networking groups and I had started to like, I got to go to an event where I met some other people that were running plumbing and HVAC companies. I was like, wow, this is great. Like who knew that there was other people doing this, like I'm doing it. And then I heard about the flow expo and the flow expo, if you don't know, is a, a local PHCC event that happens every year. And it's a great event, a lot of fun. And I, I heard about it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm going to like go and network and meet other people locally that are doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm so excited. So like, and again, I was like very, very young and I was super excited, like bright eyed, bushy tailed. Like I, I brought my like fanciest Dutton shirt and had it all pressed and ironed and like polished my shoes. I was like so excited go to this event and like, I'm walking around and I'm like, man, this is like, there's some sketchy looking people here. Like what is going on with this? And like, uh, I knew a guy running one of the booths and I was like, this is kind of a weird, like, this isn't like a conference. Like I was expecting there's, there's not other business professionals here. Like what he's like, yeah, man, it was so weird when the, when the doors opened, like people just started rushing in and it was like a capital one commercial and they're just like grabbing all the free stuff they can. Like it was like crazy. And, and so I, I come to find out like the plumbing industry doesn't have the best reputation, not for it. Like it's an earned reputation, like not always the prettiest people in the industry. And just like, I I'd always taken it for granted that like all of our guys, like they wear these uniforms, they look nice, they cut their hair, they like, and so I was like explaining this whole, like this new world view I had of, of what plumbers were like to one of my friends and I said, look, these are probably the guys that you and I would call over to our house. Cause like we got, you know, nothing like we want, we literally probably just want the cheapest price to get it done. Not really worried about anything at all. And on the other hand, like imagine if you needed to refer someone, like if you needed someone to send to your mom's house, like you would send us because it's going to give her a good experience the job's going to get done right. And they're just, they're just nice guys. And there, there was born the slogan. Was there an aha moment or was Eric Dutton in the room and was like, copyright that right now? Uh, pretty much copyright that right now. Uh, I do not own the copyright on that. He does. So, yep. He's just, that's why he's the, that's why his name's on the building. He's a smart dude. So you brought up a really interesting thing. So I would say that I, I had the inverse perception of plumbers as you did, you know, prior to my dad's actually a carpenter. So I knew quite a few plumbers growing up in New York and every single one of his plumber friends had full sleeve tattoos, looked generally angry. And I was, I was kind of scared of them. And then yeah. I uh, started working at service Titan. And that's when I started meeting contractors like yourself, contractors, like all of our other customers who are super conscientious of how they come off. And my perception of plumbing completely changed. So how would you say that slogan and that branding that Dutton has implemented, what have been the benefits of that? I mean, it gives us a guiding principle in here um, that's really easy to speak to. 
So you know, like if a technician comes to me or one of the service managers comes to me and says, oh, we've got this customer they're all angry about this, that, and the other thing, looking for your advice on it, what should I do? I just go back to you, well, if it was my mom's house, what would you do? And they're like, oh, okay, got it, know what to do. And uh, it makes it really easy for me to do my job and for them to like understand what to do. So that that's, uh, I say, one really good thing about it. I would say kind of uh, it sets the bar really high, which is, I think, a good thing because it just forces us to keep working hard, keep pushing at it, not to settle. But man, sometimes you're like, wouldn't it be great if our slogan was, it could have been worse? <laughs> that's really interesting. And I, I love that because it sounds like, you know, when you first start off, do you remember how big Dutton was when you first came on 13 years ago? Yeah, there was probably six or seven technicians who we were probably doing a couple million dollars in sales. Gotcha. And how many office people, like, so probably like 10 to 15 employees, something like that? Yeah, I think there was like three of us uh, doing a little bit of everything, a bookkeeper and Eric in the office. And now, given all those 28 service techs, you guys are probably up to about probably like 40 employees now, I would assume, right? Oh, no, no. Uh, that's just the service techs. We've got install crews. We have uh, outside salespeople. And so we're we're pushing 75 employees today. So you have 75 employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, what are some of the challenges with making sure that your, you know, the company is work is all working in the right direction? I think uh, this is something we've been talking about a lot is that as we've gotten bigger and more people are involved, you know, it's cool because like I have an install coordinator, I have a fleet guy. And, and so it's really easy to like, wow, we have these people that specialize in these things. I can take this off my plate. The problem is, is if you're not communicating really well, or if one person in that isn't on point and dialed in at their job, it's actually a, a bigger problem because all that added complexity, it's also a lot of times easier and better to just, I'll just handle everything myself, but you can't scale a business that way. Right. So I would say the need for more and better communication, just because there's more complexity and then just making sure every single person is on point, but you probably have that problem at a smaller level as well with the, uh, needing everybody to, to be pulling their weight. Interesting. So yeah, that's what I was just saying. It would be, I could imagine that the slogan is very helpful to kind of put all of those 75 uh, people in the right direction. How are you guys trying to solve for communication issues right now? What are some things you're testing out? (laughs) The last thing we want is death by meeting. So just having meetings, but having effective meetings and just whether it's a quick huddle or just touching base and just really encouraging people to not assume is the biggest thing. Yeah, I can completely 100% agree with that. Working at a company that's grown from 250 employees to 1,000 since I started. Yes, agree. What is something else that you're struggling with at work right now? And how are you trying to solve it? So I think definitely one of the things that we're struggling with is, you know, as as you're growing and bringing on new people, one is like making sure you're getting the right people on the team and then also getting teaching them the the Dutton way, if you will, of how to do things. And so it's a huge challenge, right? 
so just from the hiring aspect of it, like we always have two people in on the interviews. We always debrief each other. So I try and find someone that's very different than me to sit in on the interviews and just give a second opinion on it. And like, they'll see things that I don't see and just making sure that we're really on point with like knowing who we're looking for and what type of person is going to do well in a job. So that's it in terms of getting people on simultaneously, just asking myself after uh, about a month or so of them being on the team, like would I hire this person again, because everyone's great in an interview, but then if they're not like the same person when they are showing up to work, we need to address that very quickly. And so I'd make a point of just asking people, the other managers here, like, Hey, how's so-and-so doing? And they'll say, Oh, he's not too bad. Not too bad. Huh? Like, would you hire him again? And from there, if it's a no, it's like, okay, cool. Let's get them back on track. Let's set some expectations. We don't want to just write people off and, and throw them out. Maybe we've not set expectations properly. And so I'll challenge the managers like, hey, let's get on track with them. Let's lay out exactly what's missing, what we'd like to see from them and, and either coach people up or coach people out. How do you define yourself and what do you look for in your opposite for an interview panel? <laughs> I'm, I'm a fairly analytical person, fairly black and white. So like I'll have uh, our call center manager, Andrew, in on it, and he's very uh, much an empathetic, naturally empathetic person, very people-oriented. Uh, we always joke, like, whenever we're getting sodas at a place, like, he's almost always making a new friend that he meets at the soda fountain, whereas I'm like, well, not, I'm not that guy. And so we just play off each other really well. Gotcha. What are some of the most recent roles that you've hired? Technicians and installers have been our focus for the last couple of months, just going really hard on that. And we've been really stable with the office employees, so not too much recruiting there, but definitely, uh, you know, any good dispatchers, send them our way. Noted. What are you looking for in a good dispatcher? Two things. They got to be analytical and be able to figure out the right tech to the right call. And so that's just very much like an analytical driving nature. On the flip side of it, they also have to be extraordinary communicators, whether that's communicating to the technicians, communicating to the customers, or communicating internally to the other managers and their coworkers. So extraordinary communicator and an analytical person are kind of the two main things that I look for. Gotcha. And what are you looking for in technicians and installers right now? With technicians, the main thing that we're looking for so one, like if we got to figure out if, can they even do the job? Like, are they technically competent? So barring that, once we figure that out, we're looking at their, just their personality. Like, are they friendly? Are they outgoing? Are they driven? Like it's easier to teach a, if someone's just a naturally a people person, they're going to have an easier time in the service side of this industry. Gotcha. I think that's totally, that's totally valid. What's the most valuable lesson that you've learned up until this point in your career at Dutton? One thing that I like to say really present to is, is the phrase, this too shall pass. <laughs> because like every day, I, I don't know anybody in this industry that doesn't have a bad day from time to time. I always go back to that phrase as this too shall pass. And so it, like it's, it's all going to get better tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And I think a lot about like identifying if this is a normal problem or if this is truly a problem problem. And when your normal problem comes across your desk, that's not a problem. We just go fix those things. Like that's what we're 
here to do as managers is fix the normal problems. And it's those problem problems that you really have to just go jump on and address. So problem problems, this too shall pass. It's just something that we can deal with and helps, uh, helps keep me grounded. You mentioned this a couple of times, you know, the being present. Have you ever read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. So staying present and staying motivated. How do you stay motivated? Especially being at, first off, I haven't even commented on this, but it's very rare that you've been at this company for 13 years. Like that's not very common, especially in, in our demographic. So how do you stay motivated? Well, I was just looking over, I've got a sticky note here. That's like my personal board of directors. And it's a list of people that I make a point of very intentionally reaching out to on a regular basis and talking to just about business or, you know, personal development type stuff. So that to me is a huge thing because they'll help keep me focused, help keep me present, help keep me from getting sucked into, you know, day-to-day stuff and keep me connected to the bigger picture. And sometimes they're helping me, sometimes I'm helping them. And it's just about like finding people that you want to be like, finding people that motivate you and just trying to spend time with them in a way. I mean, I, I've, I think I forgot where this phrase or originates from, but it's, you're the summation of the six people you spend the most time with. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, gotcha. And are your personal board of directors, are they all in the trades? Yep. How did you meet them? I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of obsessed uh, about this business. So uh, I met, I've uh, met almost, let me look. Yeah. Almost all of them through Nexstar. How important would you say mentor, mentorship and creating that personal board of directors is to succeeding in this industry? I think it's absolutely critical in any industry. Like, I don't care who you are or what you do. You need mentors. And really, I, I think about it more of like coaches. You need coaches. You need people on the sidelines that are seeing you play the game from a different perspective that can help you see that differently. And the better you are, in let's say professional sports, the more coaches you have and the more feedback you're getting. So it's so critical. What's something that every contractor should do right now to improve their business? Something that every contractor should do to improve their business right now is just appreciate your people. Like they're, they're probably working very, very hard for you and they probably don't feel nearly as much appreciation as they probably deserve. And that, that goes for me too. Like I definitely underappreciate my people. All right. Well, Eric Falconer of Dutton Plumbing, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. The grit and know-how required to tackle your community's toughest jobs hasn't changed, but the way companies run their business has. Service Titan is the only field service software that was born in the trades, built for the trades. If you're interested in seeing what Service Titan can do for your business, request a demo at servicetitan.com slash trades, and we'll send you a new Milwaukee tool set, plus a free iPad when you sign up. That's servicetitan.com slash trades. You've been listening to Toolbox for the Trades, presented by Service Titan, the leading home and commercial field service software. Please subscribe to Toolbox for the Trades wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out servicetitan.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.